Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Expanding the Potential of HER2-Directed Antibody Drug Conjugates, Evidence and Application in New Tumor Types. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an independent educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo. My name is Susanna Campos. I'm a medical oncologist at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Today, we'll be talking about HER2 overexpressing and amplified solid tumors. Some important data have emerged, and I would like to inform you of some of the treatment options. The first session will begin by establishing the prevalence of HER2 amplification, overexpression, and mutation in multiple types of solid tumors. We will discuss why this may be a viable target across tumor types. Let us discuss HER2 in an oncogenic context. HER2 leads to dysregulation of HER2 signaling, which involves an excess of signals that promote cancer growth. The HER2 is a transmembrane tyrosine kinase inhibitor that's encoded by the ERBB2 gene that is localized in chromosome 17. HER2 functions as a mediator of cell proliferation. It's important to note that HER2 has no ligand. Signaling function is initiated by heterodimerization with other HER2 family proteins with the tumorigenic potential via overexpression of the wild type form. HER2 has both prognostic as well as predictive properties. Listed here are the tumor type and the relative risk or hazard ratio associated with death. For example, in breast cancer, where there is HER2 overexpression, the relative risk is approximately 2.4. In endometrial cancer, the hazard ratio is about 2, and in ovarian cancer, the hazard ratio is about 1.6. The prognostic role of HER2 in other cancers, including biliary tract, bladder, and cervical cancers, remain controversial. When we look at HER2, we look at the frequency of alterations by multiple mechanisms and also in different tumors. We look for HER2 amplification, which is assessed by fluorescent in situ hybridization. We look at HER2 overexpression that is done by immunohistochemistry, and at times we look at HER2 mutations from next-generation sequencing. Listed on this slide is the prevalence of HER2 amplification, HER2 overexpression, and HER2 mutations. In the next session, let's discuss how to optimize HER2 testing in practice. In this session, we'll discuss the importance of HER2 testing in various solid tumor types and practical strategies to optimize the assessment of HER2 status. In this slide, one looks at the traditional guiding principle. Essentially, tumors are tested for HER2 protein expression by IHC. If they are positive, 3 plus, they are eligible for trastuzumab treatment. If they are equivocal, it's reflex or HER2 gene amplification by fluorescent in situ hybridization. It's either negative with a ratio of HER2 new SEP17 less than 2 or positive HER2 SEP17 greater than or equal to 2. Of note, this only looks at HER2 overexpression and amplification. If looking for HER2 mutations, next generation sequencing should be used. Now, how does one look at HER2 scoring in different tumor types? This is actually quite important. This table compares the current criteria for HER2 positivity by IHC and FISH in breast and colorectal cancer. As you can see, they differ in terms of what is considered positive by HER2 and FISH amplification. For example, in the breast, according to ASCO and the College of American Physicians in 2018, HER2 IHC3 plus is defined as circumferential membrane staining that is complete, intense, and in more than 10% of the cells. With IHC3 plus, HER2 fish amplification is defined as positive if one looks at HER2 
SEP17 ratio of greater than or equal to 2, and HER2 signal of at least 4 signals per cell. In cases of IHC2+, if the HER2 SEP17 ratio is less than 2, and the HER2 signals per cell are 6 or more, it can also be considered HER2 positive. This goes for cases of IHC3+, as well. Compare and contrast that to colorectal cancer by the Hercules criteria, where IHC3 plus is defined as intense staining in at least 50% of cells with circumferential, basolateral, or lateral staining. In terms of HER2 fish amplification, the HER2 SEP17 ratio is greater than or equal to 2 in more than 50% of the cells. So as we look at the HER2 scoring in different tumor types, and we are start exploring HER2 expression or amplification in different disciplines, for example, cervical, endometrial, and ovarian cancer, it's important to keep in mind how we measure HER2 and that it may differ across different disciplines. This definition continues to evolve. In the next session, let's evaluate the efficacy of HER2-directed ADCs in patients with HER2 expressing cervical, endometrial, and ovarian cancer. This session will interpret the available clinical data for HER2-directed ADCs in patients with HER2 expressing cervical, endometrial, and ovarian cancers. Typically, an ADC is composed of a linker, an antibody to a specific antigen, and a cytotoxic payload. Cytotoxic payloads may differ among different ADCs. In this particular slide, we look at the overall response rate in HER2-directed ADCs in advanced cervical cancer. In the DESTINY pan tumor 2 trial, the overall response rate was greater in the IHC3 plus cohort, but the IHC2 plus cohort also saw benefit. In the trastuzumab deruxtecan arm of DESTINY pan tumor 1 they were looking at pre-treated HER2 mutated individuals. It was a very small analysis, only in three patients, but again, high responses were seen. When one looks at progression-free survival with HER2-directed ADCs in advanced cervical cancer, one can see that the median progression-free survival is quite impressive. If one looks at the overall response rate with HER2-directed ADCs in advanced endometrial cancer, we have data for trastuzumab deruxtecan and trastuzumab emtanzine. The DESTINY pan tumor O2 trial, the O1 trial, and the STATUS trial all explored trastuzumab deruxtecan and HER2 overexpressing tumors or HER2 mutated tumors. The STATUS trial looks specifically at carcinosarcoma patients. The objective response rate across trials were very impressive. Another trastuzumab ADC, trastuzumab empanzine, was explored in a basket trial for HER2 amplified endometrial cancer both as first-line and subsequent lines. Response was also seen, although the overall response rates were lower than with trastuzumab deruxtecan. The DESTINY pan tumor O2 trial and the STATUS trial both demonstrated good progression-free survival results, and overall survival results in the STATUS trials were reassuring, especially because the carcinosarcoma histological variant is a very virulent type of uterine cancer. There are upcoming trials of HER2-directed therapies in advanced endometrial cancer. Another ADC called Vistitumab, the Dotin, is being explored in the basket trial. And although the next study is not involving an ADC, the NRG026 is looking at trastuzumab plus or minus hertuzumab in HER2-positive uterine cancer. If one looks at ovarian cancer, one sees, once again, very good objective response rates, once again, higher in the IHC3+, with trastuzumab deruxtecan. It's important to note that responses are still seen in the IHC2-plus cohort. 
As mentioned earlier, the Sidimab vedotin trial is ongoing. In addition, progression-free survival results in the ovarian cancer cohort with trastuzumab deruxtecan once again showed good results, especially in the IHC 3-plus cohort. Generally, the results in these disciplines were better in patients who were IHC 3-plus, but we do see results in IHC 2-plus and even in 1-plus in the status trial. So, although we tend to utilize these in patients who are IHC 3+, exploration in patients with IHC 1+, and 2+, is ongoing in clinical trials. In the next session, let's discuss the efficacy of HER2 ADCs in patients with HER2 expressing biliary and bladder cancers. This session will interpret the available clinical data for HER2-directed ADCs that have been evaluated in patients with HER2 expressing biliary tract and bladder cancers. In this particular study, we look at the overall response rate with HER2-directed ADCs in biliary tract cancer. Again, trastuzumab deruxtecan in the DESTINY PAN-Tumor O2 trial showed a good overall objective response rate, again higher in the IHC3+. In the DESTINY PAN-Tumor O1 trial, looking at HER2-mutated cancers, the response rate was approximately 10.5%, which is lower than the DESTINY O2 trial. The hope is that future trials will provide clarity regarding the role of this treatment in patients with biliary tract cancers. If we look at progression-free survival, much like other disciplines, the median progression-free survival was improved in patients that were IHC 3+, and somewhat lower in the IHC 2+, category. When we look at other ADCs in development for biliary tract cancers as monotherapy, there are ongoing studies with decidimab vedotin in patients who have previously been treated with locally advanced HER2-new overexpressed bladder cancer that have failed first-line therapy. Another ADC, MRG002, is being explored in a phase 2 study. In patients with bladder cancer, looking at the Destiny Pan Tumor O2 trial, the overall response rate was again higher in the IHC3 plus group, approximately 56%. With decidimab, Vedotin, in a study done in China in HER2 expressing tumors, the overall response rate was 51.2%, once again higher in the IHC3 plus or IHC2 plus and FISH positive groups. Even patients whose tumors were IHC2 plus and FISH negative showed responses to Isidimab Vedotin. If one looks at progression free survival and HER2 directed ADCs in advanced bladder cancer, one can see that the median progression-free survival didn't change very much if the tumor was overexpressed by IHC 3+, versus 2+. Because of all of these results, the FDA granted a breakthrough therapy designation for trastuzumab deruxtecan for the treatment of unresectable or metastatic HER2-positive IHC 3-plus solid tumors that progress following prior treatment and have no other treatment options. As a specialist in gynecological malignancies, we're very excited about these ADCs in the management of patients with gynecological cancers. The PAN-Tumor O2 study highlighted the role of ADCs in these disciplines. It continues to evolve in other disciplines, for example, in the biliary tract cancers as well as in the bladder cancer. In the next session, let's discuss the safety profiles of these antibody drug conjugates in solid tumors. In this session, let's review the adverse event profiles for HER2-directed ADCs in patients with HER2-expressing solid tumors. This includes the ones we discussed previously, cervical, endometrial, ovarian, biliary tract, or bladder cancers. Listed here is the safety of HER2-directed ADCs across multiple tumor types, as it was outlined by the Destiny Pan Tumor O2 trial. 
As we can see, side effects were quite common and somewhat similar to those of conventional chemotherapy, especially in terms of GI and hematological toxicity. Management of these side effects parallel that and are analogous to treating patients with conventional chemotherapy. However, let us discuss the incidence of interstitial lung disease and pneumonitis in the Destiny Pan Tumor trial. As you can see from this particular trial, there was about a 2.6 incidence of grade 1 toxicity, as well as a 6.4% incidence of grade 2 toxicity. However, there were also patients who had a grade 5 toxicity. The management of pneumonitis and interstitial lung disease is exceptionally important in patients who are treated with AGCs, as they require immediate attention. It's very important to observe and diagnose interstitial lung disease and pneumonitis in patients who receive ADCs. This toxicity is not unique to one particular ADC, but is a common side effect that we can see with other ADCs utilized in the clinic. In the next session, let's discuss how we monitor and manage the key treatment-related adverse events associated with HER2-directed ADCs. In this session, I'm going to offer some practical considerations for managing the common treated related adverse events associated with HER2-directed ADCs. Listed in this particular slide are some safety considerations with ADCs. What looks for endocrine toxicities, GI toxicities, pulmonary toxicity, peripheral neuropathy, hematological toxicity, skin toxicities, and at times, ocular toxicity. In terms of management strategies for ocular toxicity, it is important that patients who are utilizing these ADC have a consultation with either an optometrist or an ophthalmologist. It's extremely important that depending on the ADC, that adherence to eye drops are met. In terms of endocrine abnormalities, hyperglycemia can be seen. Again, working with an endocrinologist is quite important, along with some stringent glucose monitoring. Patients can also have GI toxicity, and recognizing this early is very helpful. Modifications in diet, antidiarrheals, hydrations is recommended and is of utmost importance. In terms of pulmonary toxicity, if the patient complains of shortness of breath or if there's radiographical evidence of pneumonitis, the drug should be stopped and the patient should be placed on steroids. As always, I personally consult pulmonology for guidance. In terms of peripheral neuropathy, it's very important to actually monitor this as this can increase in severity from cycle 1 to 2 to 3. Agents such as gabapentin can be utilized to mitigate symptoms. At times, I employ the use of a neurology consultation. In terms of skin toxicities, topical steroids or oral steroids and a dermatology consult is also quite important. In terms of hematological toxicity, either dose reducing or using growth factor support is appropriate depending on the level of the neutropenia. Survivorship optimization approaches should be structured by individual cancer centers according to their resources. This includes ongoing surveillance for cancer spread or recurrence or other primary cancers, monitoring for long-term effects of cancer, preventing and detecting late effects of cancer therapy, referral for targeted interventions to manage cancer-related syndromes, coordinating care between MDT, and planning for ongoing survivorship care, including patient education and coordinated care. In the final session, let's discuss how a team approach can help improve outcomes for patients with HER2-positive solid tumors with antibody drug conjugate therapies. In this session, let's discuss some multidisciplinary team care strategies that I incorporate into practice while managing patients with different types of HER2-expressing solid tumors. Here are some strategies to manage potential ocular toxicity. Often, these patients will see the ophthalmology discipline before the utilization of the ADCs, and perhaps even prior to every cycle of therapy or every other cycle. There's often a very stringent recipe in terms of eye drop utilization. 
is extremely important for the physician and their staff to actually go over this with the patient very thoroughly, as each ADC has a particular type of algorithm that should be adhered to. In terms of peripheral neuropathy, these patients are often coming off of other agents that can also cause peripheral neuropathy. So it's important to coordinate multidisciplinary care with a neurologist. We often use certain agents such as duloxetine and gabapentin. At times, we consider acupuncture. The most important is the dose reduction of the agent as needed. In terms of pulmonary toxicity with ADCs, especially interstitial lung disease or pneumonitis, it's especially important to coordinate care with a pulmonologist and important to recognize it early. We have to monitor for suspected interstitial lung disease and pneumonitis when a patient is on an ADC. If a patient complains of shortness of breath while on an ADC, you should confirm if it's interstitial lung disease or pneumonitis using radiographical studies. If it's a grade 1 toxicity, you interrupt until the side effects resolve and the patient is cleared by a pulmonologist. You must discontinue the agent if the interstitial lung disease occurs beyond day 22 and has not resolved within 49 days of the last infusion. Very importantly, if this toxicity is a grade 2 or greater, the clinician should permanently discontinue and manage with steroids, systemic glucocorticoids, and hospitalization if necessary. I think when utilizing antibody drug conjugates in clinical practice, it's quite important to have a relationship with other providers. As part of an academic center, these are often readily available to us. While there may be some difficulty in the community setting, it is important to build those relationships early when utilizing these ADCs. In summary, I think we've reached a point that is very exciting. We now have different biomarkers that we can target therapy to. It's important to test and understand how to test for HER2. As we utilize these ADCs in clinical practice, it's important to recognize very early the potential side effect profile of these drugs in order to abrogate any potential significant toxicity. But it is a very exciting time in oncology with the utilization of these ADCs. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.